नमस्ते श्योर बिंदो एज द परफेक्ट जीवन मुक्त इफ यू लुक एट श्योर बिंदोज लाइफ इन फैक्ट ईच अवतार एज द मदर सेज ही एड्स ए न्यू रंग टू दी लैडर ऑफ क्रिएशन सो वॉट हैपन्स टू द प्रीवियस लैडर्स बिकॉज वेन यू क्लाइंब ए लैडर अब डू दे कोलैप्स or are they also changed so when we look at shurbindo's life shri krishna's life before him and then shurbindo's life so the previous rungs don't collapse but they are also upgraded to a new understanding and a new way of life for example even before one takes to yoga there is the ideal of a householder who is you know still within limits of the human consciousness and when we look at shurbindo's life even just as a human being it is amazing for instance we see perfect samata equanimity the ability to to take all the hardships of nature without going through any even twitch of a pain without complaining without grumbling we know how even in um uh, in in uh, uk how he could live with small amount of money through which he could only buy a several of these um, some kind of a um, i think it's for a penny you get it uh, probably a sausage or something yeah and a cup of tea for a full year and he never had any grudge against his father for this little money that he is getting at the same time we see in shurabindo two very interesting tendencies on one side there is such a peace that he could completely efface himself without the least complain or grumble on the other hand we see the first stirrings of a revolutionary right there at the age of 18 when he is still in uk they form a party called lotus and dagger where they have to go and take an oath for the motherland this is something very very interesting and unique normally one is on this side or the other but we see in shubindo's life though there are two extremes and yet there is a perfect synthesis and harmony they don't contradict each other at the same time we see in his life such an understanding and deep compassion i'm saying even as a human being when we read his letters to nilani devi who obviously complains there are some problems probably of money or other things and shubindo doesn't blame her he writes that i can understand you are very innocent you easily come under the uh, whatever others say you easily come to believe it you are so gullible now this is something amazing even as a human love there is such a beautiful glow his self effacing nature where he is you know sleeps on a mat on the floor and uh, even though he is a big man in maharaja later on private secretary before that in the land collectors reform then himself studied in cambridge where he is uh, qualified as first class tripos and yet there is such a humility that nobody can make out that here is a person who is so qualified so erudite so capable so even when we look at within the human range shubindo has excellent qualities and no wonder the mother spoke of him as the perfect gentleman even when he has to ask something from someone he is not the kind who will ever order champaklal ji gives that wonderful example of his holding a letter and saying 
uh, I suppose it has to be posted. Not that go and post it. Hundred hungry hands, as he says, would reach out for that letter. No wonder when Kapali Shastriji saw him for the first time, though by then he was already into yoga, but even the human personality, when he saw his human personality, when he saw him on the threshold, he said he reminded him of the perfect Aryan of the ancient times, like Lord Rama. That was his poise, that was his self-mastery, as if a whole Asia, uh, ocean had you know, contained itself, Maryada. Maryada Purushottam, there is the highest human ideal we have in our Indian thought. Within the human range, what you could be, and should be the upgrades it to what level? So even the human ideal, he upgraded. Then beyond the human, one of the ideals is Nirvana, Moksha. So Moksha is generally considered in today's times as freedom from the cycles of birth and death. But Shurabindo upgrades it to a totally different level. Moksha for him is the footstool to get a foothold on the world wherein we are in a state of inner stillness and silence and yet the works can continue. There is a whole beautiful chapter in essays on the Gita. This based on the question that uh, Arjuna has asked Sri Krishna obviously and that chapter is Nirvana and works in the world. Is it possible for a person in a state of Nirvana to do works in the world? And Sri says, yes, even much later when he is asked um, by a disciple, <clears throat> that is uh, it possible to realize Sachidanand while engaged in works? And Sri says, good Lord, what else I have been saying through the Arya? And then he gives his own life that I myself realized it like this. So, moksha as freedom from the cycles of birth and death is what is normally today understood or rather misunderstood because it gives an impression of an escape from worldly life. That you don't want to enter the cycles because these cycles are too dangerous, no doubt. World is very baffling, confusing, dangerous, delightful, charming, all of them at once. And depending on what angle we look at it, we find it very difficult to wrestle and embrace all the forces, countless forces that are engaged at any given point of time. And yet, Shurabindu says, Moksha is, there is a whole essay he writes on Moksha. Moksha means freedom from ignorance, not an escape from the world. Freedom from ignorance means you are living in that state of Brahman, you know the true self and yet you continue to live. So, Shurabindu favored this ideal. So, when we look at the line of two lines of spirituality that have blossomed in Indian context. One is the kind of spirituality that takes us away from the world. So it believes that world is a Maya, it's an illusion and takes us away. And the another kind of spirituality which believes in this evolutionary march of mankind towards a great goal. So we see the former is like Shiva and all Maya Vadins, which came subsequently, Buddha, Shankaracharya, who eventually regard this world as an incorrigible mess and the only way is to come out of this world. Whereas uh, Shurbindo, Shri Krishna speak of the march of civilization, Lok Sangrahar, going towards a great goal. So even when you are free within, you can still be in the world and you should be in the world. So this is the ideal of Jeevan Mukta and Shurbindo gives in one of his aphorisms, rather a series of aphorisms. He says, uh, Vivekananda in one of the places, he speaks of one King Janak. 
So he says there is no one king Janak. Janak is a lineage. And actually when you see, um, there is one Janak whose guru is Ashtavakra. There is another Janak whose guru is Yagnavalk. So you can see that it's a lineage of yogins who were kings and yet they were engaged in the world. And there are many examples of kings, Ajat, Shatru, subsequent, earlier also, who were free from the world inwardly and yet they were engaged in the world. Now, in Jivan Mukti itself, there are two types of ideals. So, rather, up till now, there has been one. Shurabindu upgrades it. He writes that about his poem itself. First kind of ideal is that Jivan Mukti is inwardly free. And we have it in the Gita. The Gita actually leads us towards Jivan Mukti. After the Brahma Nirvana that Sri Krishna describes, he is a Jivan Mukti. That you are inwardly free and you act in the world. So, what happens when you act in the world? You still act through your nature. Sattva Rajo Tamagun Meaning thereby Your operating systems are limited You have seen the divine You have the taste of the divine And you are inwardly free You are not bound by any of those egoistic uh, Movements And tendency But the moment you act through nature The systems are Sattva Rajo Tamaguna And that's why Sri Krishna has to give him the assurance That even though when you act You will act through the three gunas Yet, because you are surrendered to me, aham tva sarva pape bhyo mokshishyami mahasucha. It will not cling to you. It will not cleave to you. The action will not bind you back because you are already a free being. This ideal has been often discussed in yogic circles and there are yogis who believe that yes, that's the maximum one can reach. That inwardly one can be free and one can act in the world. And there have been different versions of that. One version is that the yogin has to withdraw from the world for freedom. But then, till he has a bodily life, he has to act in the world. So why does he act? He acts to exhaust the shesh karmas. This is one of the theories. That by the past impulsion of previous lives, there is a karma which is going on. And he has to continue in the world till those karmas drop off. Then he can withdraw completely from the world into a Mahanirvana. So there is Mahanirvana and there is Mahanirvana. This has been one of the ideals. Another is that you are inwardly free. Rest doesn't matter. Nature can move its own way. Jadvat, Palvat, Pishachvat, Unmatvat. And Shubhita says that yes, there is a state like that. That one is inwardly free, but because one is inwardly free, normally because we are tied to nature, we are like trying to make the best within that operating system. And to take an example is when you are living in a house and you are contained within the house. So what do you do? You want to make the house good. But imagine you found a secret door through which you can at will soar into the sky as long as you wish to. Now what happens is that house is no more for you it doesn't carry that much sense. So you come into the house because you are in contact with the earth, you want to rest. But again, you are flying. You see in Kabir Das life and many others, this ideal has been propagated. That you know, Hansa is flying out and it, one day it will break the pot and it will escape. So this is the ideal which has been also propagated as the ideal of a person who is free within and continuing to do works of uh, in, in the by whatever mode is available to nature. Shobindo raises this question in the sense of yoga that this is a this is not what he wants, that's not perfection, because it means that the world will always remain what it is, and it would mean that though inwardly I am free, living with the divine, my works are stamped by the twilight 
where darkness and light are mixed. And I often use this example that imagine a doctor who is inwardly free. Through his medical practice, he is remembering and offering, remembering and offering. So inwardly, he is now constantly in contact with the mother. So what does he do outwardly? Outwardly, he says, what can I do? I have to rely on my science textbooks and whatever my science says, I'll do it. But I'll do it in a nishkam way. I am not seeking money. I am not seeking name and fame. But work will be decided by the state of evolution of the knowledge or information in the world as it is. This is a great hampering thing. So Shurvindu says, no, that is not acceptable. Even the works must be divinely done. Now this is a new ideal of Jeevan Mukta. That is why Shubindu when he, uh, you know, normally we say Karmi Yoga. So there is only Karmi Yoga. But Shubindu differentiates between the ordinary Karmi Yoga and the Karmi Yoga which is used in this Yoga. In ordinary Karmi Yoga, it is you are doing the works in a detached, in an impersonal way, with in a Nishkam Bhav, dedicating it to God and opening to the Divine, remembering Him at all times, offering everything to Him. But doing the works completely free from the taint that ego brings. So this is the ordinary karma yoga. It is meant for freedom through the path of works. Not freedom from works, but freedom through the path of works. The other ideal is where the very means of work, the force that moves us, the instruments, they all change. So it is not enough that inwardly one is free. If one speaks, it should be a divinely inspired speech. If one loves, it should be a divine love pouring through the heart. If one acts in life, the action must be inspired by the divine Shakti. So we see that in Shurabindu's yoga, suddenly even as a Jivan Mukt, which he has achieved right then and there in Baroda itself before coming to um, Pondicherry, still we see that this Jivan Mukta ideal itself is upgraded to another level. So while being in the works, while engaged in the works, one is changing the state of Jivan Mukta into a higher state wherein the Jivan Mukta state becomes now a foothold for the divine forces to act and pass through nature. And Shubindu says that in one of his letters on his poem Jivan Mukta, he says, well, Jivan Mukta is an ideal which is well-known ideal in, in yoga, especially in the yoga of the Gita through the path of works. And he himself has realized it. But he says, I have given it my own angle. He says that, that this is not how traditionally people understand Jivan Mukta. Jivan Mukta is inwardly I am free, dressed as a matter. What I do, how I sit, how I talk, that's nature, that's not me. So typical division is, me, I am free. Nature is bound, it, it is nature, so it can't be changed. But here he gives it an unique angle and that's what we see in Shurabindu's life and we the best way to understand it is through his poem Jeevan Mukta himself itself. So uh, one of the best ways for biography of Shurabindu I feel is one is of course Savitri and the other is through the poems because what is the true biography of any human being? Shurabindu, I mean he is a divine being. Shurabindu speaks of that that my life is too deep. It has not been on the surface for men to see. But he knew people will make an effort, attempt. So this inner truth of his life, how he has experienced, what his life has been deep within, he has revealed it through his poems. So he has a poem on the hilltop temple where he has the experience of you know, Shankaracharya's temple, the Advaita, the vacant infinite. He has the experience when he goes up these stairs 
on Parvati Mandir where he sees that uh, suddenly vision of the world mother. Then another in Narmada, that Kali temple where he sees an image of Kali and he sees that the form contains none else but the world mother. Then his experience of Nirvana. All these experiences Shrivinda is revealed and this is how cosmic consciousness and then one of the experiences which he has lived, it is not much spoken about because we speak about Shrivinda achieving Nirvana, the stillness of the Brahman consciousness and then we have he came to Pondicherry and he was engaged in the supramental yoga in which he had certain experiences like Par Brahman etc. But during that phase he has gone through as a Jivan Mukta. And what this Jivan Mukta is best described by himself in his poem. Jivan Mukta, there is a silence greater than any known. To earth's dumb spirit, motionless in the soul, that has become eternity's foothold, touched by the infinitudes forever. So it is given completely to the divine. And the divine is using it as a foothold. And we see right after the nirvana, how Shurabindu's action is completely dictated by that higher consciousness. For instance, when he goes to speak, now we have yogis and yogis have spoken things, but you see the difference when Shurabindu speaks. And when he goes, he asks Lili Maharaj, what do I do? How do I speak in this state of stillness? He says, nothing, you just offer it to the narana within and you will speak. And he says, all right. So he does that and he speaks. And that speech is very different because now he is opening his doors to higher and higher consciousness. It, he becomes eternity is full told. So the ideal of Jivan Mukta is not just to give the example of a person who is free in the world, but to become, to provide the divine a foothold for the forces of higher nature to pour into the world. That's why this ideal has any meaning. And we see that constantly in Shurabindu's life. Look at the surrender. Because here there is a beautiful line, touched by the infinitudes forever. That when he is told that, look, you know, police is after you and they are coming after you. They may come anytime. And Sister Nivedita cautions him. He says, well, who knows better than you that uh, I have given myself in the hands of the world mother. And I cannot budge, cannot move until she gives me the orders. So again we see Clearly that he is, though he is Jivan Mukta, he could have said this nature. It's a process. But here he is in a state of complete surrender to the infinity above. So Mukti is only a step towards something much greater. And we see that constantly in his life, right after Nirvana, very often people in their haste to cut the cosmic knot. That's why uh, one of the problems of... Uh, you know, entering into a monastery, let me put it like that. That people want to prematurely withdraw from the world. They have not engaged in the world. Now what happens when you try to do it? The world is a process of evolution. It will take you to the point when you will have a conscious aspiration to go beyond it. If that aspiration has not awakened and you go to a monastery, it's not going to help. Because that process is, you can't cut that process. It's an evolutionary process. So we see Shurabindu going through that evolutionary process and reaching that point. But often we believe, ignorantly of course, that by simply joining a monastery or you know entering a sacred space will suddenly change. That doesn't happen because there is a whole process of evolution. So we see that in Shurabindu that he 
even as a jivan mukta even as a free person he is inwardly free what are the works he engages in one he is a married person he doesn't after that he doesn't say na tato na mata na bandhu na bhrata he doesn't write to mrilanli devi that look here from today i am a jivan mukta i don't speak to people i don't meet people in fact the last day of his departure to chandanagar which is 1910 is very interesting somebody is actually cooking food for him he is gathered with few people and he is communicating their number of speeches done during this period and then suddenly shobinda is gone and it's described very with a pain that you know there is this lady who is like his sister and she is pre- preparing all the food for oro dada oro dada but oro dada is under orders the moment he gets the sealing order he just marches on now look at the freedom where he is not bound with anything and yet he is in the world this is the true freedom he doesn't say oh it will be bad what will society think what will she feel none of those things mother's command or the divine command and that is enough for him we see this several times this state of shurbindo that's why it's very difficult to fix shurbindo's personality as ab purani writes about it and in essays on the geeta he says impersonal personality nirguna guni you have all the gunas but you are not fixed normally you brand people this this quality is this is quality but this is a impersonal uh, personality and its classical example is when amrita is taking shurbindo you know he is going to receive his sister who is coming and uh, suddenly shubindo makes a remark about the rickshaw wala and his condition state and he says sir you have so much compassion even for this man shubindo smiles and says yes and with equal compassion i can thrust a dagger if that be the command now it's very difficult to understand that's why he says in thoughts and aphorisms that he who does not strike when there is god's command does to the world an incalculable harm but then he also gives the other side strike if such be god's command but be sure of the command with it <laughs> so <laughs> but look at the normally ordinarily we have a format all of us act according to format the format may be tamoguna format may be rajoguna or format may be th- satguna these are the three formats even in satguna we have pick up certain qualities and we act according to that we make certain dogmas we make certain ideas opinions view points according to that we act but look at shurbindo's action it doesn't follow any fixed logic so much so that when in the middle of the freedom movement when he is the star towards whom everybody has hope that as long as he is there there is hope what does he do he says i marched i got the sailing orders and i marched and many people couldn't understand that how could he just go away ordinarily people would think that he actually and that's how charuchan dat and many others thought that he just left them in the lurch and went away but it was not that at all 
Later on, Shabindu describes, I had already seen the larger lines along which the freedom will be fulfilled. He had also seen that somebody else is going to come and lead it along those lines. Passive resistance, boycott, everything is already there. He had laid down the lines along with India's freedom has to come. And he saw that this is a greater work. Next moment, he could drop it and just go away. And this capacity of Shurbindo, this is the hallmark of the Jeevan Mukti. He is not tied to anything, not even to his course of action, his chosen course of action. And that's something truly divine. It's, I mean, life acts like that. And if we really look at the divine action, it doesn't act according to a fixed logic. Look at the rise of civilizations and the collapse. And that's why he, when someone asked him that, uh, does the divine ever fail? He says, yes, why not? If failure suits his purpose better. And that state in which he entered subsequently, constantly we see the same going on. That where does he come? Pondicherry. And there also, he is again given an offer, very good offer, to go to Algeria. And he waits for a there is a pause and he says, I am not going to budge an inch from here. So this is the sign of the Jeevan Mukta that he is not only inwardly free. He is not bound by any of the formats of nature. This is an upgrading. Ordinarily, Jeevan Mukta is inwardly free. But nature is bound by Sattu Rajasthamo Guna. That is how Sri Krishna reveals that nature you will still be bound. But inwardly you will remain free. Why? Because you are in that state and you are living in me. But Shurabhinta is not even bound by nature. So what's happening in his life? How is he acting? Completely under the flow of the higher supernature, the divine mother who inspires and he acts. And that's why we see many of the actions of Shurabhinta very difficult to understand. Imagine the previous president, um, Dr. Sarvapalli Radhakrishnan, much, many of his Shobindo's works and passages is bodily lifted and <laughs> transplanted. And when Shobindo was told about it, Shobindo said, it's okay if this stealing helps others. So he didn't much pay attention to it. At the same time, when he was asked about, you know, he wanted Shobindo to write a preface on his book. He said, I'm too busy right now and I cannot break this rule. Gandhiji is coming. Ordinarily, a spiritual man also. Oh, such a big man is coming. Gandhiji is not just Prime Minister, President, but greater than that <laughs> at that point of time also. And one would say, oh, I am so lucky, blessed. Arrange red carpet. Shubhendra does nothing of the sort. He simply says, you know what? Uh, it's uh, not possible for me to accommodate except for the Darshan days. Of course, he had seen a greater truth. So now Dilip Kumar Roy and another Govardhan Bhai Patel, they don't know now what to do. How to tell someone like Gandhiji who wants to meet him. So he says you can tell him that, you know, first he tells him the reason that, you know, he will come with all kinds of retinue. It will create an unnecessary atmosphere of uh, agitation within and he doesn't want that. But he writes a very polite letter that, I have made this rule for myself. Now you look at the letter, the beauty of the letter. He says, I made a rule for myself. Shobindu is not bound by any rule, huh? but he writes it like that. I made it a rule for myself not to see anybody except for the Darshan days. And I have kept up this rule 
even for my disciples who are living with me and depend on me. So obviously I can't break it for anyone else. Now you know why he writes letter in this vein. He says that is the only thing that Gandhiji will understand. What? I made a rule for myself. <laughs> was it a rigid rule? No. When Shurabindu was asked, why don't you see more often? He said, if I see more often, the effect of the darshan will be reduced to half. It was not a mental rule. Nothing in Shurabindu's life we see is governed by a mental rule. So much so that at one point, Shubhendu made a very baffling, startling revelation, which later on we see, you know, what can be the extent of Nishkam Karma. Now, Nishkam Karma, normally you don't know what is the future. You do your bit and you offer it. Arjuna is fortunate that he has seen that future is, but in that future he sees himself and everybody going into hurry. So, but this much he knows that Lord Krishna is with me, there will be victory and now he has to do in Nishkam Karma. Shobindu is foreseen in the future. So much so that when somebody asked him about Siddhi in the Yoga, Siddhi in the Yoga, Shobindu says, I have come for sadhana, not for Siddhi. Can you imagine that tapasya? And yet, last minute, look at the renunciation. Indeed, two years before, he tells the mother that if one of us must go, I'll go. And you'll have to fulfill the yoga of transformation. Why? Because your body is much more prepared. This kind of constantly, again, in when there is a battle, the Second World War, he puts entire force on the side of the allies, contrary to the public opinion. See, this idea that because everybody believes something is right, it's a very dangerous idea. Everybody believed at that time that it's very good if Hitler wins the war. Why? Because the Britishers will lose. It's perfect. And then Shubhendra saw otherwise. He said, Hitler's victory means my own work is pushed back 10,000 years. And if you want the ashram to close, just tell me and I'll do it myself. So his vision, his action, not at all. So he made something new in the ideal of Jivan Mukta. It was not just inner freedom, but an action which was completely inspired and guided with the divine. By the divine. Very often people have this problem. So they say it's very good. Arjuna had a Krishna with him. So Krishna could tell him. Do this, do that. So now Shurabindra says. Well that's why in the ages to come. The Krishna and Arjuna both will be in one being. You don't need to have Krishna outside and Arjuna here. The Narnayarayana will become one. That is how it is uh, predicted. That when the mountain in Badrinath. Nar and Narayana, they will come close and become one. They will be the beginning of a new age. So when Krishna is awakened within, and we see in mother's life also exactly the same thing. That from that point onwards, completely the action is dictated and guided by the divine. I mean, we hear about saints going to, you know, God and in a state of ecstasy, they receive something. But everyday life, every step, being led completely by the divine under the divine influence, divine action. First time we see in Shurabindu's life. Even the Gita is done under a super conscious state. But every moment, everything is an expression of the divine. And Jivan Mukti is a stage, a step in that direction. And we see this very clearly that even while as a Jivan Mukta, Shurabindu is giving talks, very often people believe that, you know, uh, 
to realize the divine, you have to withdraw and be quiet and lead an inner life. Yes, Shurabindu had an intense active inner life. And yet he gave talks, he wrote extensively, edited Dharma, Karmi Yogi, Yugantar. And then he was engaged in the revolutionary activities, guiding from behind. He was also writing letters to those who were dependent on him. Just in the two years period we see this. Two or three years. Even, of course, we know the Alipur jail incidents. And then subsequently, all through his life, he has been like a Jivan Mukt. But as I said, Jivan Mukt who is in life, yet free from it. But not just free from life, but actively changing it. So this is the poem, which I thought I'll read. A splendor is here, refused to the earthward sight, that floods some deep flame-covered, all-seeing eye, revealed it wakens when God's stillness, heavens the ocean of moveless nature. Very beautiful, um, lovely lines, that there is a splendor which is hidden to our sight. So our action is still driven in ignorance. Even though the self is free. But even behind this ignorant nature, there is a higher supernature which waits. A power descends, no fate can perturb or vanquish. Calmer than mountains, wider than matching, wider than marching waters, a single might of luminous quiet, tirelessly bearing the worlds and ages. What a vastness! In which the Jivan Mukta lives. Normally we want things to materialize in my lifetime. Very often even now people ask. When everything has been done by Ishwar Bindu. Huh? But people want. Hamari life mein hum dekhenge kya? And look at Ishwar Bindu. When he is asked. Something will be done this time. What is that something? Earth will surely be saved. About humanity. Mother has left the question hanging. And I can also say the same. People didn't understand what is he saying. He is concerned about earth. Humanity is too small. Its importance is only to become a bridge towards that. Otherwise, it's like any other species. What a vast vision in Shurbindo's in the evening talks. This is a very interesting conversation about animals and humans. And Shurbindo says, you think that you are more evolved just because uh, in the process of nature you are at the highest and you have an intelligence. He says, who told you that? And then he shows the animals and how they have the intelligence, how they also have the qualities of the heart. And Because evolution is not just about one dimension spearheading. It's about the totality. And then he you know, reveals a totally different dimension altogether. So he was gone way beyond the human existence. And his, when mother was asked in one of the conversations, well with the supermind, we can see the new race. And the mother says, Shubindu said it will take uh, a thousand years, at least a few hundred years. So they knew that it is going to take place much later. That manifestation, not the, I mean, that fullness of the realization in the outward nature. And yet they continued to labor tirelessly. This is something unbelievable. So this is the way Ajivan Mukta acts. A bliss surrounds with ecstasy everlasting. And this bliss is independent of all, you know, this feeling people had that, you know, he is in his room, he is in a state of samadhi, constant trance. 
But for sure, Bindo, Samadhi had to be achieved and acquired in the most outward waking consciousness. And Shubindo explains that so beautifully. He says that, well, I am not busy with the Empyrean. I am busy with the subconscious. My concern is not high above. My concern, all that is okay. Heavens we have conquered. But it is what will happen on the ground. So that is what he was doing in the room. He was not sitting in the room in a kind of blissful trance. Of course, he was constantly for hours gazing at a wall. But it was not that he was just having vision of the Supreme. He was looking at the dirt and the darkness of human nature and entering there. No wonder he wrote a poem, Pilgrim of the Night, that I have in the abyss was fixed our rendezvous. I made an assignation with the night. In the abyss was fixed our rendezvous. Carrying in my breast God's deathless light, I came her dark and dangerous heart to woe. So that is the action of the Jivan Mukta. Because he is freed from the world march, he can be the leader of the march. He can be the true leader because he can spearhead. Normally our evolution is bound by the evolution of the collectivity. That's why the importance of the individual and the collectivity. An average human being is the one who goes by the everybody's opinion. So if everybody says, do this, it must be right. A rare human being frees himself from the tyranny of the collectivity and thinks for himself. But a divine human being is freed both from the tyranny of the collectivity and his own individual nature and acts according to the divine impulsion. And it may be seemingly completely contrary as we see during the Second World War and yet much later it is discovered that this was the right course of action. Even Cripps mission and many others which unfortunately people didn't understand that time. A bliss surrounds with ecstasy everlasting, an absolute high-seated immortal rapture possesses sealing love to oneness. So he is living in a state of oneness in the grasp of the all-beautiful, all-beloved. So it is not just love for God. So in, again we see in Shurabindo's yoga, karmi yoga lifted to its height, bhakti yoga. Bhakti yoga speaks of thus bhakti becomes universalized. The deity you adore is not just within and in a particular form in an idol, but in the entire creation you have to see. Thus bhakti becomes universalized. And now come these very beautiful line, one of my favorite. He who from times... Dull motion escapes and thrills. Time's dull motion is very, very slow. Slowly, our thoughts, our wishes are way ahead. But we follow, follow the norm. And is beyond norm and form. He who from time's dull motion escapes and thrills, wrapped thoughtless, wordless into the eternal's breast. So he is not, you know, he speaks what God makes him speak. He writes what the divine power makes him writes, dictates, that we all know in Shurabindu's life. Unrolls the form and sign of being, seated above in the omniscient silence. He is not attached to this form and this body and this figure. He has unrolled it all. Imagine, you know, such a beautiful expression. The formless has rolled into form and he unrolls it. As the mother says, you know, what does it matter? This body, that body, there is one body, one substance, one consciousness, one being. It's a state very difficult for us even to imagine. And Shurabindu speaks of that. 
that what happens in cosmic consciousness, one takes upon oneself the entire burden of the race. He who would save himself must share the race pain. And that is the state in which so Jivan Mukta is also someone who enters into the vastness of the cosmic consciousness. Why? Because now the consciousness is free from the grip of nature, from the limited molds. So he is into the vastness of the cosmic consciousness. Although consenting here to a mortal body, he is free. He need not come. But look at the power of the word consenting. He is not bound to come. So the ideal of mukti is you don't come back because if you come back it's again ignorance. But he consents to come into ignorance. Why would somebody consent to come into ignorance? <laughs> Although consenting here to a mortal body, he is the undying. He is conscious. It's a conscious birth. He knows he is the undying. Limit and bond he knows not. You put before him. So when we try to categorize Shobindo in different slots, he refuses. You can't put it because he is the undying and he doesn't know these limits. He is beyond limits. For him, the aeons are a playground. Doesn't he say in Savitri, of course, where does he start Savitri? Right from before time and space begin. Pralaya, the story starts. And he has seen the aeons unfold. Life and its deeds are his splendid shadow. Why? Because he has passed beyond them. He is no more attached to that. What happened then? He, so much so. In fact, it's a sign that he is constantly moving ahead. That one of his first books that came out uh, or the earlier book was Yoga and Its Objects. One of the first books that came out. There were others. Uttar Yogi was another book which was Automatic Writings. And then later on, Shirobindo says, you know, those who have read Yoga and Its Objects, it's a marvelous book. Book, so inspiring, and Shubhendu says this contains an earlier idea. He's already moved ahead <laughs> because he is not, you know, he is far, far ahead. So this is one. He has already leaped from one mountain to another, and this book was later on published with this. That Shubhendu says that these are his earlier ideas, though the seed is there, but this is not. Uh, the final thing because there you still find the Rajas, Sattva and Tamogun there is a passage which speaks about the four eights, Sanat Sujati but uh, it speaks about the liberated man who is working for the mankind and then later on he changed it because when he had said that um, uh, our yoga is not for ourselves but for man so people were very happy here is the ultimate philanthropist mm-hmm. so he later on changed it our yoga is not for Ourselves, but for God. So then people had a problem. What do you mean? <laughs> then he qualified that man as he is only for Nar Seva. No, Narayan Seva. In Nar there is the divine presence. And it's for that. Because that is the ultimate good of man. So that's how he works. And so life and its deeds are his splendid shadows. Only to bring even the entire freedom movement, the way he had developed and the way he left it. And when he was asked to come back, we have that, you know, people like Munji met him, Joseph Baptista's letter, Sir, please come back. Congress is without a leader. You must come and take take the control the reins. What a temptation. But Sri says, no, I have come for a 
different work altogether. He doesn't reveal all the cards. He says that I have retired from politics. But he says personally, even if I were to come, now my thoughts have gone far ahead. And the kind of politics I may present before people, nobody will even understand it. Leave, leave alone, follow it. So, that is how a Jivan Mukta is progressing. Jivan Mukta is not an end. But it's a step, a necessary step and a stage before which, uh, before one can go into deeper and higher territories. Only to bring God's forces to waiting nature. There is nature and God's forces are the supernature, the divine Shakti. So why does he live? Why does he consent to a mortal body? To bring God's forces to waiting nature. To help with wide-winged peace her tormented labor. And heal with joy her ancient sorrow. What is the ancient sorrow? It is a sorrow because it has fallen into inconscient. All sorrow is the touch of the abyss of the inconscient. Because it's because of separation. All sorrow is because there is the sense of separation from whatever we think is God. <laughs> it may be an object, a human being or a state. And therefore there is the sorrow and the anguish because of the separation. And so this sorrow changes into longing. Longing changes into aspiration. Now imagine he comes to bring that light into the abyss. He's not happy with just helping some man, uh, human beings. Casting down light on the inconscient darkness. There it is. So the Jivan Mukta. And Shurabinda has said this is not the traditional ideal and traditional yogis will not agree with it. He has said that. <laughs> But why does he come down? He comes down to bring God forces to nature and heal the abyss and the inconscient. Casting down light on the inconscient darkness, he acts and lives. Vain things are mind smaller motives. So, the traditional Jivan Mukta is somebody who has no motives, but he continues to act according to the past impulsion, according to Sattu Guna or whatever Guna he is stationed in. It makes him act. So he acts. But here it is not even that. There is a greater motive. To one whose soul enjoys for its high position, infinity and the sempiternal, all is his guide and beloved and refuge. Now look at the power of this line. All is his guide. Everything becomes a path. He is not even limited to this path, that path. So when we look at Shurabindu's earlier writing, in synthesis of yoga itself, it begins to appear that it is a very vast path. It is not a combination of things. And as we come later on, what is the path open to the mother? What we have to do? Any which way, whatever you may be doing, open to the mother. So the path becomes so vast that you can't even categorize it as that this is the path that... For one person it is this way, for another person another way. In synthesis of yoga, doesn't he say? He has all methods and no methods. All is his guide for somebody who is a Jivan Mukta. And beloved. All is his beloved. How come? Because the beloved dwells in all. And refuge. Everywhere and in everything he finds the divine and lives in a constant state of the divine he dwells in the divine. He knows that the divine dwells in all and he knows that all appearances are nothing else but ways and effort of manifestation of the divine. And that is what we see in Sri life that 
from that point onwards from that point of moksha all his life there is only one thing which you can see constantly it is how the divine manifestation can be taken one step two steps 10 steps further and further regardless of the result regardless of when it will be accomplished whenever people would ask him when it will take place he would say we'll see next year again next year sir you promised next year yes so we'll see it again next year and it goes on like that anybody else to do that kind of labor and he says that if i can bear this burden it's only because of the divine love and the divine delight within me so he is always surrounded with this delight all the time he is distributing this delight and this greater consciousness to everyone but himself he plunges into the inconscient to bear the burden of this world nature so a jivan mukta is someone in whom shiva and krishna become a single god with one hand he takes the poison of earth and with the other he plays the flute to release notes of the new creation thank you